Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. I'm here on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline from ESPN.com. He is Stephen Holder. I mentioned this to the audience here on Monday because, believe me, there's, there's nothing like having a great Lamar Jackson conversation every single day right here. That is Sports Talk Radio Gold. But I said, listen, um, I don't feel that it's reasonable, and I think you could probably take your cue from when Jim Ursay talks at the owners' meetings in Arizona, and I'm assuming everybody took their cue with what he had to say about that the night before last because he normally doesn't pour cold water on stuff in the fashion in which he did with that, but I felt that's exactly what he did. I think, well, first of all, I would say I agree with you. It is it is gold. Listen, I work for the worldwide leader, buddy, okay? So <laughs> let me tell you something. Uh, Lamar Jackson moved the needle for for, uh, for yours truly here. But I would say I I do somewhat agree. Jim Ursay, over the course, well, let's put it this way. Over the course of Monday, it was very interesting. So Monday morning, we talked to Shane Steichen, and he gives a noncommittal answer, but doesn't doesn't like dismiss the idea of Lamar Jackson, right? So we figured, okay, eh, it's probably on the table at minimum. Then Chris Ballard talks, and he left the door wide open. I mean, for him particularly, because he's not a guy who talks about going out and doing aggressive things. And here he is saying, look, you know, everything's on the table, and we're looking at everything, and he's a special player. And when he says special, that's not a word he uses very lightly, right? So – there's this roller coaster going on. And so at that point, the sentiment, at least in my mind was, okay, they're in it. I don't think it's going to happen, but like, this is a probably at least a, a real conversation. And then we get to Jim Mercer that evening, pretty late on the East coast by then. And he kind of said the same thing. Ballard said, look, special player. We leave, you know, we consider everything, but I thought his opposition to the, the draft compensation, I did not see that coming. And I would say this, I, I thought, and I still think that the financials are a big impediment here. Not saying they can't do it, but I, I think it's, it's a disincentive, right? With Lamar Jackson. But I'd never really considered that for Jim Mercy, at least that the, the draft compensation was a non-starter. And he kind of said it was. <laughs> so that was not something I anticipated. I did not think that would be the basis for him being opposed or at least being having trepidation to pursuing Lamar Jackson. Um, but it, it's interesting. I thought that was so unexpected, but in, but very, very notable. With, with trying, and I've said this for a while now, that he wants to be known as one of the loudest voices as far as owners are concerned in the NFL. He wants to have that position. So falling in line with the other owners who are upset regarding the Deshaun Watson deal in Cleveland. Could that angle keep him from doing what he actually deep down inside really would like to do? And that is take a run at Lamar Jackson. So I would say this, I, I mean, he, he gave a very 
vocal, uh, I guess the, he was very vocal in his opposition to doing a, a, a fully guaranteed contract. I asked him that very specifically, and not even in the context of Lamar Jackson, just in general. I'm working on a piece about that for ESPN that you'll see in the coming days. Anyway, he was basically like, not no, but hell no, <laughs> on a fully guaranteed contract, which is basically what Deshaun Watson has. Now, what what he did say is now, he says a percentage I'm fully open to, open to, a percentage of guarantees. So really, it's a are we splitting hairs? Maybe. And here's why. Because I, I think we can talk about fully guaranteed deals all day long in the context of Lamar Jackson. My opinion is he was never getting a fully guaranteed deal. I don't think that's going to happen. I, I do not think that is that is within uh, the realm of possibility. I just don't. And so the question then becomes, <clears throat> does this conversation at some point shift from fully guaranteed to, okay, well, what will Lamar settle for? And if that happens, then it changes the conversation. And and I don't and look, we don't have it documented that he's asking for a fully guaranteed deal, but that is what has been reported. That is what has been uh, assumed. If if it's not fully guaranteed, it's it's a massive amount of guarantees, right? More than anyone's willing to do. And so, if at some point his expectations if they change, then I think it becomes a more realistic conversation. I, I really think the Colts would then be willing to have a deeper and more realistic um, negotiation, even uh, with Lamar Jackson. But we're not there yet, and Lamar has to get there before that could ever happen, I think. So, Stephen Holder of ESPN.com, it just kind of struck me as this. Um, normally, I would expect, you know, for what they've gone through a quarterback, Jim Irsay, to, to be one out in front and kind of excited about that. But the fact that he yeah. wasn't excited about it led me to believe that, you know, he is in line with the other owners as wanting to become their leader. Or is he really truly sold on the fact that the best point a path to take right now is to draft a quarterback and move forward. I, see, I still think that it's more about wanting to be that leading voice in the NFL than it is still really buying into, you know, building with that rookie quarterback for the foreseeable future. Because at the same time, and you heard him, I mean, he also talked about how I think Chris Ballard has at least three more years. You know, he didn't put a number on it like that, but he also did say that you have to start seeing results here fairly quickly, just like anybody else to keep your gig. Yeah, there there are some contradictions there. I agree with you. And one of the things that I asked him is, and I don't know if this is specifically answering the question, but one of the things that I asked him is, I said, okay, you keep talking about the draft, and you want to you want to go get this this young quarterback and groom him, and I, I think everyone understands that. Here's the thing: it's a hard road sometimes, and it, it, at minimum, it takes time, right? I mean. You just don't roll out of bed and, and get a rookie Pro Bowl quarterback. Like, that just doesn't tend to happen. So my question to him ultimately was, all right, are you ready for that? Like, are you prepared for that? Okay, you're the guy who, who keeps talking about Lombardis, and dude, you're a long way from a Lombardi if you go that route, unless this kid is just whoever he ends up being, unless he's just a revelation, right? And so then on the other hand, he's talking about we need to show progress and and he should say that, but the progress could be slow. And so I agree. There's some contradictions there. And, and I think that is why I can't rule out anything here, you know, because he knows that he, he understands that. And I'm not saying he's impatient. He's not, but he's tired. 
We all are, right? We're, we're tired of where this, you know, this this treadmill the Colts have been on in terms of not in terms of quarterbacks. I just mean in terms of uh, success, right? There hasn't been any meaningful success. So there's a you know, there's a really there's a real strong argument to be made. Lamar Jackson just gives you rocket fuel, and in that timeline. I get the the drawbacks. I get it, right? I'm not going to sit here and argue that there's that it's that's a black and white thing. It ain't. All I'm saying is, if we're just talking about Jim Mersey and his, you know, his his um, desire to kind of move this ball forward, I mean, Lamar Jackson is an opportunity that he has not had. Uh, his franchise has not had, you know, to 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 make up some ground very quickly. So that's why I can't rule it out because I know just how tired of all this he has been. See, I, I just I look at it. I think that they, for a variety of reasons, are just ready to move forward and draft a quarterback well, and and go yeah. with it. And they are, but but I also think and that's true. But I also think, I, look, I am not predicting that they're going to do something with Lamar Jackson. In fact, I I I predict otherwise. I predict that it will not happen unless something changes drastically. However, I would argue though, when you talk about rebooting and and moving forward, I think. You could argue you are doing that with a, a 26-year-old, you know, former MVP quarterback. This is—it's not in the same realm, not even in the same universe, as acquiring Philip Rivers, acquiring even Carson Wentz, who was young but but had had not had recent success. You know, when they acquired him, that's not the case here. The, there's the injuries with Lamar Jackson, but you know his talent is. That, that ain't even a question. Do you view, right? do you view that realistic though? I don't mean to cut you off, but do you do you no, view you them going after him legitimate and realistic? Not not on the not under the current circumstances, no. Because and what I mean by the current circumstances, I mean just whatever he's asking for. Clearly, everyone has had the same response to it. I mean, the entire league now something would have to change. He would have to change his disposition here. Lamar, look, I love Lamar Jackson. I think he is an incredible talent. I think the reality is he has completely misjudged this. And, look, I'm all for players, right? Uh, fight for the little guy. And then the little guy in these instances is definitely the player and not the owners, right? So I'm, I'm always on that side of these equations. But Lamar Jackson, has, he has screwed this up. Okay, and I'm not even talking about the agent perspective. I'm just talking about not reading the room. He's not reading the room. Okay, (laughs) the room has spoken, and the room is not interested, man. And so he has to make the adjustment. They don't have to do anything. They don't have to do a damn thing. They being the owners and, and these potentially interested teams, they can observe the situation and decide that ain't for us. And they clearly have done that now. Here's the thing, deadlines matter. And we've got a month to the draft, and I think the next four weeks are absolutely massive in this whole circumstance because I don't see a team making a, a concerted move after the draft. You've got to get your quarterback situation settled at the draft. Even a team like the Colts, maybe they don't want to give up the fourth overall pick, and I've heard this this idea thrown out there. But, like, look, they're not going to go spend the fourth overall pick on a quarterback and then go get Lamar Jackson. I mean, why? Why would you do that? Or even not pick a quarterback and then try to go get Lamar Jackson. Because what if the Ravens match, right? Then you have no quarterback. So neither of those circumstances, neither of those scenarios are 
I think, realistic. This is going to get settled, in my estimation, and even Aaron Rodgers even, right? That The, the, the quarterback situations on those teams got to get settled before the draft. So four weeks to go, in my estimation, uh, for anything really serious happening on either front there. Uh, Stephen Holder of ESPN.com. He's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Um, what do you think about what they have to choose from at quarterback? Let's just say, again, hypothetically, they move forward here and, and draft a quarterback. And I've said for a while, it's not because I like it, because I don't. I like C.J. Stroud, and obviously they're going to be out of the running there uh, because of what Carolina did. But Levis, I've been – Told for a while, uh, going back during the season, you know how much they had interest in, you know Will Levis at Kentucky. Do you think that holds true right now? Would that be your prediction if you had to right now at number four overall? I would say I still think that Anthony Richardson is a bigger factor in this conversation than people think. I, I believe that strongly. Um, for a number of reasons, some I could talk about, some I can't. But what I'd say is, Levis, I have, I would say, I have less information on on their assessment of Will Levis. So I want to be clear about what I'm saying. I'm not saying that Anthony Richardson is head and shoulders above Will Levis in the Colts assessment. That is not what I'm saying. What I am saying is, I, I do know some about their assessment of Anthony Richardson and they're very high on him. Levis, it's less clear for me. You, it sounds like you, we kind of have different details on different guys. So maybe we put that all together, you and I, and maybe we have something. I don't know where that leads us. I would say Levis is, I think his floor, you know, as, as a player, his floor seems, you know, a, a decent, seems to be a decently high floor. Now, what his upside is, what his what his ceiling is, I have no idea. I think Richardson probably has the higher ceiling, but he could also have the lower floor. So this really, I think, boils down to how much risk are they willing to take with this pick? You know, and, and what I mean by that is, are they are they willing for it to uh, to not work? Um, you know, but 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 also you know put it on the line because. They like the upside of a guy like Richardson, for example, right? I don't know. It just depends on your on your level of tolerance for the risk. It's the fourth overall pick. It's it's a huge asset. So that that's I don't know. I don't know how they view that part, and that's what they've got to get their heads around. Well, and let's do this in terms of the uh, what we believe to be the Ballard clock right now. Okay, Levis or Richardson? That would mm. you think, in your opinion? Better fall into, or you know what? And I'll even mention this because there's an outside chance you'd have to trade down, and that's like a Ballard wheelhouse. So yeah. even Hendon Hooker, for example, let's just yeah. factor in. Even if he's not in, factor in those three guys. Who is more on the Ballard clock of hey, you got to win, or this is really, and I mean really, really going to be your time is up if you don't. That's a tough one, I but I think it's an appropriate question. Because, <laughs> look, we all we all think about our futures, right, and everything that we do. So I don't think it's I don't think it's inappropriate to ask that. Uh, it's hard to say. Uh, I, I could make an argument, and this is maybe this is maybe just the way I think. But I could make an argument that when you take a high upside pick like Richardson, it almost extends your timeline a little bit because it's a developmental pick, 
right? The results are not going to be immediate. No one expects them to be immediate. Does that buy you more time? I, I don't know. I mean, he's got to show promise. If he does, maybe that buys you more time. And I, I don't mean to suggest that Chris Ballard is, is thinking about it purely in these terms. But, I mean, look, when you throw all of the motivating factors into a pot, I mean, maybe that's in there somewhere. You know what I'm saying? As a, in terms of a, a, a variable in, in how he views all this. So, look, I mean, if you're asking me, I think that's one way to look at it. I mean, in terms of Levis, uh, I, I mean, you're probably going to get a faster timeline. But, uh, you know, will the payoff be there? As, will the, you know, in terms of the upside, that's, that's harder to say. So, Stephen Holder with us. What are the chances are, because we hear this all the time, and this situation ought to be pretty funny, but I think that there's an outside chance that most of the NFL in this draft would view number four as, if it's Will Levis, not taking the best player available. So where does what is that that normalcy of a draft? And that is a cliche over the years that has been a a common theme: best player available. Right. Where do the Colts fall in there? I mean, would it be well? Our viewpoint is that Levis, or our viewpoint is Richardson, is the best player available. But it'd be hard to believe that maybe if there's a defensive player there, that you wouldn't view him as maybe better available at number four. How do you think they view that? So here's the problem with the the best player available theory, because it doesn't take into account value. If you just look at it in black and white, right? I mean, you know, is it Anderson, the the linebacker? Yeah, as as the player, not the effect on the team is what you're talking about, right? Just as the player? Value in terms, like position as well. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Like positional value is what I'm saying. Like, so, so... Clearly, at number four, if they take one of those quarterbacks, I mean, I think if there's still, there's probably, there's very likely to be a defensive player on the board who is just as a pure football player, as a pure talent, is going to be a better football player than one of those quarterbacks. But is his value to your franchise in the long term higher than either of those quarterbacks? The answer is very likely no if those quarterbacks hit, right? So, I mean, I don't, I don't think anybody would make that argument that there's, there's more value in some linebacker than a potential franchise quarterback, even though in terms of pure football talent, those, that other guy might be better. But so I, I, think, I think for where the Colts are and, and given their situation in history at this position, the value is – Incredible for a quarterback right now for them, right? So I don't think there's, I don't think there can be a question. How could there be a question? And if there is, I mean, what are we doing here, right? So um, they, there's too much on the line. I, I look, you can talk about these theories till you're blue in the face, and then you get into the real world. And this is the real world. And the real world situation here is they got to fix this. And it's a mess and has been a mess. And they can't afford to, to, to get caught up in, uh, you know, theories and, and philosophy here. Get a quarterback. I will say this, and I've tried to bring this up to the fans too. Like, Lamar Jackson's clear, and I'm not going to call it clear right now, but clear availability uh, would seem to be for what the Colts need to start this season and what you view Lamar Jackson as as a quarterback – would be the most perfect that they've seen around here in a long time. But that comes with a tremendous but in this case. 
Yeah, wait, let me see if I follow. You're saying... No, I think he'd be perfect here right now. He'd be perfect for oh, everything. Yeah. I'm not even considering yeah. the fact that he didn't play play out the uh, final yeah. games of the last two seasons. For what is necessary for a team that, you know, is going into the season being, even with drafting a quarterback of need, yeah. dull, and coming off a kind of circusy, not even a kind of, a circusy season of a year ago, Absolutely. you know, that's that seems like that, that, man, that would fall in a perfect world right into your lap. But, you know, we all know that it's far from perfect. It is not perfect, okay? Right. You're, you're exactly right. And he is, is a fascinating player. And it's one of the things I have, I have said when this topic has been discussed, and, and maybe it shouldn't matter, but I think it does, is this is a completely and absolutely irrelevant football team. Okay? They just are. Yeah. They do not matter. And, and – they're in the AFC where they have maybe out of 16 teams, what the like 13th or 14th worst quarterback situation right now. So <laughs> you can do two things. You can instantly get credibility at the most important position, which has direct uh, impact on your results. Number one. And number two, you become a relevant franchise for the first time in a while. I mean, where where is the path to relevance for this team? In the short term, there just isn't one. And he look again. Maybe that doesn't matter. Maybe this is a stupid conversation. I don't know, but I, I just think I think that matters to Jim Irsay. I, I can tell you for sure that matters. He, there's nothing he hates worse than nobody caring about his football team, and they sure as hell don't care right now. <laughs> That's all I can tell you. Yeah, there's no doubt. There, there is no doubt this thing needs juiced up, and that would be that would be the perfect elixir for it. But it's just not perfect in terms of thinking that that could ever come to fruition. And I, I just well, and, look, I, and it, I like talking it, about stuff like this too, but it just has never seemed reasonable to me. It, it, it look it, it it is a business too, right? It, it is a business, and 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 I think for Jim Murphy, he's not one of those owners for whom his football team is just kind of a, you know, his, that's his weekend sports car. You know what I mean? Like, like a toy. It's not that (laughs) it's not right. It's number one. It's, it's how he pays his bills. You know, he doesn't have any trouble paying those bills. I'm just saying it's his source of income for the most part. And number two, it's his life's work, right? There are owners for whom neither of those things are true. You know, David Tepper, in Carolina, as Frank Reich is learning now, David Tepper is just, this is a hobby for David Tepper, <laughs> okay? And, you know, this guy, he's, he's generated billions of dollars before he ever even thought about owning a football team. You know, it's just the circumstances are different and they matter. Um, so when you talk about Jim Mercer pouring a bunch of money into uh, you know, Lamar Jackson, if it goes wrong, you know, it's a big hit to him. It's less of a hit maybe to a different owner. So I don't know. You know, he says it doesn't matter. He, he said that the other night. The money's not the problem. But I mean, the reality is that's not true. The, the money does matter. Uh, you're you'd have to put up hundreds of millions of dollars potentially. Yeah, I mean, it, it does matter. It matters a hell of a lot. You going to the Richardson Pro Day? I'm not. I'm not. But um, I'm, I'm very interested to see you know what comes out of that and you know what some of the assessments are. You know, I. 
I will tell you, that, that kid, look, I did spend a lot of time with him at the Combine, and I am, I'm just telling you, I'm just really intrigued by him. I think that one of the things I, I did learn about him I can share is that through his, his pre-Combine and pre-draft training, uh, he's made some big gains in the technique part of it, and I think that's where a guy like that can just really take off. I don't know that he will. But he needs that, you know. He just didn't really have enough time on task in college. And if he can fix his feet and and get his technique going, uh, it's going to make a huge difference in his accuracy. The other thing is, if you want to know something about his his makeup and his disposition, uh, one quick thing, his trainers were telling me that, you know, during Super Bowl week, a lot of these top prospects, you know, the sponsors fly them out to Super Bowl week for the whole week. And they wind wind them and dine them do a few appearances, you know, but it's, it's a great week, right? Uh, every Super Bowl I see it. These guys are on Radio Row, and they're just they, – they roll out the red carpet. Anthony Richardson was asked to do that, and he said, no, I'm going to stay here and I'm going to get some work in this week. I, I got work to do. So that told me something about him, you know. We'll, we'll see. I think that those are little things that you look for, just a little nugget for the listeners out there. And by the way, his pro day is coming up tomorrow, so – yeah. I have a little bit of feedback coming up tomorrow afternoon about that. Steven, always a pleasure, man. Appreciate it. We'll do it again soon. All right. You got it. I'm on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. He was spectacular on this show yesterday. I cannot thank him enough from the uh, ISC network with um, Query and Schultz every Monday. A new one drops. And he also was working at Purdue now, having a a great time of it. Derek Schultz is with us. Hello, Derek. How are you? Hey, thanks for having me. Can I tell you a Dusty May story just real quick? I think you should. Okay. I was a – I don't remember if I was a junior or senior at IU. There was a coaching basketball class that I guess Bob Knight used to teach in like the 80s and 90s. And so a buddy of mine was like, hey, we should take this class. And I was like, well, you know, it's like Mike Davis teaching it or – John Trelor or somebody like that. He's like, no, it's this guy, Dusty May. And I look him up on the IU website and he's like the video assistant coordinator or something. Uh, so he's working like, you know, 78 hours a week. He's probably 25 years old. And we get to the class and here's this like five foot eight dude standing there at the front of the room. And he doesn't look older than anybody of us. And we're thinking to ourselves, what? Like this guy, we're going to, we're going to do a coaching basketball class with this guy. Could not have been a nicer guy. Was obvious that he was really smart and knew his stuff. But it's just, it's so surreal to me that 20 years ago, I was sitting at Assembly Hall in that little media room getting taught by Dusty May, the video coordinator for Mike Davis. And here he is coaching in the Final Four with a shot at the national title. It's crazy. And Derek, that is something else I think you look back on and what he has gone through to get to this point. It's not like that, you know, all of a sudden something was just handed to him. Uh, and we always talk about those that have that work ethic, and he does. And, and you also think about some of the good fortune you may have because he was brought to Louisiana Tech years ago by Kerry Rupp, the former IU assistant. Kerry uh, Rupp was let go, and then when Mike White took over as the head coach, he kept Dusty on board. And then Dusty developed that relationship with Mike White uh, and now the AD Brian White, who's Mike's brother, who hired him down at Florida Atlantic, and of course they are both the sons of Kevin White, the longtime Duke athletic director. So not only work ethic, but just good fortune along the way is a big deal in what these guys do. Yeah, it's all about relationships. Uh, that business, this business, you know who you know, and 
they see you or they hear about you from somebody else. And he's climbed every rung of the ladder. So I'm, I'm thrilled for him. I mean, this was the perfect year for somebody like FAU to just make a massive run because I think we'd all agree that the teams at the top were all very flawed. Do you think that this is going to hold out? This type of NCAA tournament, and we've, I think, pointed the finger at, you know, it's it's a COVID-added season. It's uh, an NIL thing. It's a transfer portal thing. Will this hold out as long as there are no essential guardrails to both NIL and the transfer portal? Will we see, again, NCAA tournament runs we have seen like this one? Yeah, you know, it's a great question. I think the COVID year, once that expires, will zap some of that. But you know what, John? This isn't exactly a new thing. You remember – like 10 years ago, we went through that stretch where we had Mercer and Lehigh and Florida Gulf Coast and like all these teams, all these 15s and 14s started winning games. And so it's really been like the last 10 years that you've seen a lot of upheaval. I remember I used to be able to name all of the 15 seeds that won. It was like Santa Clara, Richmond, Coppin said there are only like four of them. Yeah. And now there are too many to name. Like I, I'm even leaving, like I think Oral Roberts might've been one when they beat Ohio state a couple of years ago. Like I feel like I'm leaving ones out. So I think the parody and all of that is, is here to stay that there's going to be a, a little bit more of a, um, a gap shrinking uh, between the haves and the have nots. You know, we always pull our hair out and worry about all these new developments in college sports that, well, the rich are going to get richer. Well, it's going to be, you know, Duke and Carolina and all that. Look, more often than not, you're going to get last year's Final Four, right, with Duke and Carolina and Villanova and teams like that. But as long as you sprinkle in, like, a VCU Butler weirdo Final Four every five, six, seven years, I'm cool with it. And that's kind of where college basketball has been. Well, it's kind of interesting. And Derek Schultz joins us regarding uh, the transfer portal. Because I had this conversation last week with Michael Lewis, and it sounded like he was laying the groundwork. His his guy, Peyton Sparks, 13.5 per game, six foot nine, had entered the transfer portal. And you know, and, and Michael said all the right things. You know, you, you, you know, you're there to help you know, enhance the opportunities of your players. If they want to go bigger, you go bigger. And then we learned today it ends up that Peyton Sparks is is down in Bloomington. And I know that, that Michael says all the right things, but at its core, that still has to hurt when you develop a kid and he really plays out this year. And then ultimately, you know that he can just bail and go someplace else larger. And this is something, Derek, that that Dusty's going to have to deal with, I think. And it's on, on a main stage here because, you know, his guys and I've talked to him privately and publicly about this. You know, his guys are are there at least they're in the process of being poached by others right now with the level in which they have played. Yeah, and what sucks for Michael Lewis is that it's not like he left to go to, you know, Cal Berkeley or to Providence. You know, he's he's going down the road. <laughs> you know, he's going to IU. I, I think, you know, Michael Lewis is going to say the right things, but that's got to sting a little bit that, you know, not only is he leaving, but he's going to a, a bigger program in the same state that you're trying to, you know, get yourself to the level where you're at least within shouting distance of competing with. Um, it's a drawback. I, I don't think that there's anything that is going to change that. If I start at a program like FAU and I have a good season or two good seasons and then Florida comes knocking on my door, I mean, what am I supposed to say? No, I'm not interested in that. As a 20-year-old, of course, I, I, I want to at least listen to what they have to say and further myself. That's what this whole thing is about. So the college athlete empowerment thing, I know that it rubs a lot of people the wrong way, but at the end of the day, I think these kids should be able to make 
any decision that they want that they think is best for themselves, and we should allow that to happen. Um, we're so worried about people making the wrong decision, but it's not that's not on me. That's on them. You know, they're they're they can make that decision. They're old enough now to do that themselves. So I've always been one to just kind of give the freedom to make the right decision or make the wrong decision. Um, and some of the decisions are wrong. Sometimes guys transfer and it's not the right thing to do. It's not the right pretense and the reason that they're transferring. Um, but I'm going to allow them to make that decision for themselves. And that's kind of the way I know that's kind of a cop out to your question, but that's that's kind of the way that I've always approached it when it comes to transfers. I mean, we don't care if, if somebody's a, a music student at IU and they decide to transfer to, I don't know, Nashville, they go to Vanderbilt or something. No one cares. So, you know, player movement, as far as this is concerned, when it's athletes, um, I try not to get all up in arms about it. Yeah, I just – to me, it's it's a couple of different things. And has it led to some entertainment? It has. But you know, at the same time, I, I still don't think – we have seen yet the ramifications of what it has has done, you know, what what it might do, especially to those mid-level teams where you have a guy have one good year, like a Peyton Sparks, and you just kind of bounce. And believe me, in Muncie, they had a good year. You know, they didn't make it to the NCAA tournament, but in, in, in Mike's first year, that was a really good year. And, man, that just pulls the rug out from under you. I just don't see how he and they make up for something – like that and you know that's just like one example of and maybe i'm just too close to it because i like him and obviously it happened around here but we'll see with dusty's team Derek. he's got one senior that's that forest kid and everybody else is coming back and you know and dusty is coming back but we'll see if everybody else indeed does end up back and he talks about and says all the right things that you have to say right now but we'll see if it ultimately works out that way that's tough and that's a two-way street, though, too, because you've got, you know, coaches that have the one good year or the one good run. You know, Andy Enfield. Uh, Andy Enfield has that run at Gulf Coast, and then he leaves it. Have we heard anything about – you have any idea what Florida Gulf Coast has done in the last 10 years, right? So it was, hey, thanks thanks for the Sweet 16, guys. Bye. So, you know, it, that's that's where it's, it's tough for me. I feel for Dusty May. I feel for Michael Lewis. Um, but those guys also are potentially going to have the opportunity to bolt for bigger and better jobs as well. And we give coaches the freedom of movement all the time. I think it's fine for the players to have the same freedom of movement, even if it can lead to these sort of discussions. All right. Sean Bricker brings up a good point. And because this just happened yesterday, so Tamar Bates entered the transfer portal. And he was obviously somebody, I guess you can view it now as a guy that had been, you know, overrated, overranked coming out of, of high school does that kind of even things out now when you have somebody like that does he end up at a mid-major because i don't see that i think he's going to end up somewhere else at another power conference basketball institution here i don't think for example he ends up at ball state but does that at all even things out in terms of how these guys are rated and especially Derek, if they become overrated and after two years need to go someplace else yeah, I mean, I, I guess if you're asking me, could it be a positive that somebody is out of their depth a little bit? Like, let's say, you know, Tamar Bates, I, I'm sure he doesn't feel this way. I'm, I'm guessing he's a competent kid. I'm just basing that off of... Well, Dun- he, Duncombe was. Things, Logan Duncombe right? was a great yeah. example of being out, you know, probably too far out uh, as far as where he's playing. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, John, remember Tim Priller at IU? We were like, it, it, it was a joke that that kid, you know, no offense to that kid. He seemed like a really nice kid, but the fact that he was a scholarship player... Who's that other guy that ended up at like Clown College Community School that that Crean recruited that shooter, and he was on scholarship for one year? Like like guys like that, 
um, I think it could be a positive because then maybe you gain some experience of being with a big time program and then you realize, Hey, this is not the level that is that best fits my game. I need to go down a rung. So yeah, look, I, I think as with anything else, I think there are positives and negatives to this, but I'm just not ready to make any broad proclamations about what the transfer portal on NIL mean when we're still in the infancy of this. I, I think we need like a five, six year. We at least need a full recruiting cycle to start to kind of understand what the ramifications are. Well, let me tell you this. We're in Sports Talk Radio. We don't allow a, a broad <laughs> scope of anything. We've got to decide right now if something is good or it sucks, all right? Yeah. Is Will Levis going to be, uh, you know, a Hall of Famer or not? You got to decide right now. Yeah, we got to know right, right damn now, Derek. Right now. <laughs> hey, thanks again for coming in yesterday. You know, I love it when you do, and uh, the three hours, and I know people love listening to you. Uh, but I appreciate you coming in as you did yesterday for me, man. Yeah, man. Anytime, and thanks for the invite. It's always good to hop on the bike and and try to pedal again. So I'm glad. I don't think I fell over too many times, but I oh, appreciate it. Always, buddy. Thank you. Thanks, Sean. Kevin Bowen of the Morning Show. Kevin inquiries on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Is there an expectation that the Colts go overseas for a game this year? Because I think we thought maybe there was a year ago. Is it even more of an expectation this year? Well, first, yeah, Ollie Merce has some uh, has some decent music there. Um, it's a nice nice pull by you. I, I love I love TV. I love BBC Radio. I think it's BBC Radio, BBC Radio One, and Radio Two. Now, I cannot under I, I can't understand what they say. It's like watching the Benny Hill show. I go, wait a minute, I get about every third word that they're saying. But man, I I love what they play because they did they play stuff that that obviously is popular in in Great Britain that probably has yet to get here or won't get here so it's pretty cool yeah i was dialing up the bbc in my hotel room to watch the Ryder cup when we were over ah. there the, the the bbc telecast for the Ryder cup boy uh a little bit different than the old american uh television Kev, i had a bathroom or, uh, i had a, a bathroom that was a glass box it was glass and the toilet was surrounded by a glass box it was the most glorious toilet i have ever seen and to this day i'm trying to get lance and ld smith plumbing to build a toilet like that for me surrounded by a glass box it was so pristine it was like man i felt bad when i had to go in there and you know i felt bad about i thought man i yeah. i mean i may want to hold it and just go down the hall and use like the hotel's bathroom because this is way too nice <laughs> Uh, did you have a bidet? Is that how No, no, we still use the paper. Yeah, okay. I don't, uh, right. yeah, the the bidet. Yeah, I wasn't a big fan of it. It was, yeah. it was too intimidating for me. Yeah, I mean, there's, yeah, I mean, it's just, seems like stuff is splashing everywhere. I don't need that effect. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, you, you and me on the same boat there. Uh, Colts International, uh, Remind me again who's playing over there. There's obviously Jacksonville's got a home game, right? Um, oh man, you had to ask me that. I don't know off the top of my head I, who else is playing over there. At least off the top of my head, think. I could look it up really quick. You know, and it's not anything we have to dial deeply into here. I just was yeah. curious because we thought last year they were going to go back, and I remember right. in 2016 I didn't want to go. Like Greg Rakestraw was saying, yep, you're going to go. And I go, man, I don't want to go because, you know, me, I just I do like three things. I come here, uh, do remotes, I play basketball, and I go home. Like three things, maybe three and a half things, and that's about it. And I didn't want to go. But once I got there, I have never been so glad I actually did something um, as I was when I got back here after doing that. That was outstanding. 
Yeah, it was awesome. I, I was, and again, maybe this is part of the NFL was, I, I mean, I guess relatively new to playing over there. Um, and, and now maybe it's come more of a common occurrence, but obviously you got the two games in Germany. Um, I, I want to say New England was one of the teams, and I think they appear on the Colts' schedule. So I, I guess if you would have a road game with the Patriots or a road game with Jacksonville, I think those, if I'm not mistaken, were yeah. the two opponents that were slotted over there. Maybe the Titans were as well. So, I mean, there are definitely teams, I think, on the Colts' schedule that are going over there, so they could be going over there and wouldn't we find out pretty soon i mean aren't we like a month away from i would think do you remember when we found out we found out for the 2016 season was it was that early may or was it earlier than that even well the schedule lease i would say earlier than that because the schedule lease has been pushed to may and i would think back then it was a lot earlier when they released it i would assume that between now and the schedule release, which is like mid-May or early May, I mean, outside of the draft, you don't have a lot of the NFL calendar. So I, I would assume they would try to make, you know, somewhat of a big deal out of it, you know, announce it on uh, whatever that morning show is called um, and, and and go from there. So I, I just figured the Colts would fall into, you know, a game over there, but um, maybe it won't be this year. Maybe it'll be soon. Who knows? Yeah, I'm hoping so, though. I am. I kind of want to go back again. That was such a great time. You want to go to Germany? I would. I would go to Germany too. I'm all once. I just didn't want to have to. Like the flight was going to be the major pain, and I went with Bullseye, and it was a direct flight. So if it's a non-direct flight, then I probably won't go. But if I can go with Bullseye again, then I'm definitely going to go. That was beautiful. Absolutely yeah. beautiful. Yeah, we did the red eye Thursday night, and I I just can't sleep on flights, so that was a little brutal for me. But once you fought through it Friday, I think I joined you at the uh, yep. at the Admiralty, if I'm saying that correct. Admiralty, yes. Yeah, once we got through that, it was great. I, yeah, I, I've never been to. I mean, hell, I've never been to Europe outside of that trip, so it was only three or four days. I'll never forget coming back, and you know, you have to go through TSA, and that was a, and I mean, like traveling. With the team, um, I, I think the rap. I think it's still the same thing here in the NBA when you go play in Toronto and, and you come back to the states. And you know that was a brutal loss. I mean, the Colts, you know, terrible loss to Jacksonville. And I'll never forget Chuck Pagano going through TSA and just the British guy, just so friendly. Oh, what? Br- I'm not going to try and do a British accent. What brought you over here? And I mean, here's Chuck, <laughs> you know, I mean. Two hours after just a brutal loss, if I'm not mistaken. And are they going to let you come back? Yes. Do they? Would they want you to come back? (laughs) He got fired later that year. Uh, There was some debate. You know, would he be left at Heathrow? I believe uh, during that. And I just looked at the guy. I'm thinking, boy, if only you knew what that man was thinking internally right now as you're uh, as you're checking his bags. Yeah, this is beautiful. I remember getting on a bus shuttle bus and going to Getwick during the Sunday night football game, right? And we boarded the plane, and I got back here at Indy, and I got I did the show Monday. I started at 3.30. Greg was in here until 3.30. I started at 3.30. I missed 30 minutes. So I got back Gosh. from there. I left that night during the uh, Sunday night game and got back here in time to start at 3.30. Incredible. And, and I might be imagining things, but I feel like – Taylor and I had to start the pregame show in the stadium because you couldn't. You, oh, I got there in time. Here. It was like ten said. That was the biggest thing. 
is that it was uh, the security measures. For some reason, I don't know what they thought I was yeah, doing. They let you in, right? Yeah, they were not letting me in, and I had all the yeah. the the proper credentials too. I was credentialed up like crazy. They let me in. I, if I, I got in there, literally fifteen seconds before we hit the air. Yeah, that was a sword. That's typically a sorgy move, and I was surprised to see you. <laughs> yeah, that's a, definitely yeah. a Gorman move. Sometimes he's yeah, walking well. up there at the time. So yes, it was. Yeah, yeah. Gorman's on the field doing sound check for the halftime show. Anyway, that just made me curious about whether or not you believe that uh, they'll end up overseas for a yeah. game. I, I, I would guess it happens soon, uh, potentially this year. But if not, I, I would say very soon. So Kevin Bowen, morning show. Kevin Inquiry, weekday morning, seven until ten a.m. Here on the fan, he's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I love, I would love to be able to talk about Lamar Jackson day in and day out. That would be fantastic for us. And had maybe Jim Irsay been a little bit different in that Q and A the night before last, maybe we could. But if there was going to be anybody that would at least semi hype up this possibility, it was going to be him. And listen, I didn't think this was reasonable from the outset. And I think after that conversation that he had with local reporters the other night, even less so being able to think about anything within reason being Lamar Jackson here. Do you feel the same way? Yeah, certainly water on the fire of any sort of Lamar Jackson Colts chatter. Uh, I think it's fair to say that. Um, and honestly, that was probably the first like hurdle we should clear in any of this Lamar Jackson discussion is if his demands are really what they reportedly are or appear to be in a guaranteed contract or close to that, I, I could never see the Colts getting involved. And, you know, I would say there were some tea leaves, John, even before Ursay's comments that you could point to. I don't know if you saw the Chris Mortensen tweet, uh, I believe, on Monday. But, you know, Mortensen and Ursay's relationship are well-documented. And, you know, he, he kind of hinted at teams having hesitancy about the compensation it would take as well. Um, and, again, that was kind of always my curiosity about the Colts' serious interest in it. And his tone was certainly different. Um than Chris Ballard's, you know, to, to a little bit more of a politician. And, and you kind of understand, you know, Ballard playing both sides of the fence there. He's always been a huge advocate for, you know, worrying about how players view him and how he, you know, how that whole relationship is. So, of course, he's going to side a little bit more. And praising Lamar publicly and talking about him in that light, I would say the Ursa stuff that I totally agreed with was just, the the plan that he basically said of it's time to draft a rookie quarterback it's time to yep. build in those first four or five years when that rookie contract or when when that rookie quarterback is on his rookie contract it's such a golden opportunity to win and build and I think that's the misnomer oftentimes uh, people forget like you can also win during this time I mean look at the past six or seven Super Bowls you can point to several quarterbacks that took their teams to the Super Bowl on a rookie contract. Jalen Hurts and Joe Burrow and go back to Jared Goff and obviously Patrick Mahomes did it. You know, there, there are several instances of it. So uh, I couldn't agree more with Ursay, and that's not something I've said about a ton of his decisions lately, but I, I would say that is one that I uh, wholeheartedly agree with. Even in the landscape of the quarterback selection, is this one where you think we're going to look back at this and it's not so much the Lamar Jackson stuff. It's not so much that has happened decision-wise prior, not even the disaster that took place a year ago during the season of decision-making. But the one that we're going to look back on is the one where they did not get up and have the option to get whomever 
they would choose at the top of this draft? Are you talking about for this year? Or are you, are you for this year? Yeah, I mean, that? not doing not doing yeah. what Carolina Kev did, right? You know, will that be the one that we point at? And I, I guess it all stands to reason if the quarterback does not come along and play well and not give you visions of of um, you know what he can be in the future, then I guess that's what we're all going to think. But is that kind of the outlier right there? Not trading up, not giving yourself that option. Is that the one thing we all should be thinking about as we move forward here? Maybe, maybe could be the the ultimate mistake here. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I thought Bauer's comments about that were pretty interesting. About they just kind of weren't there yet as an organization, you know, group. It sounded like kind of like group think wise of everybody on the same page. Um, which, when you break it down, you know, obviously Carolina's hired a new coach this offseason. Indy's hired a new coach. You know, Frank Wright did get hired well before Shane Steichen, so Carolina had a little bit more time um, to vet these guys. But also, look at how Carolina just went about the three pro days last week, and I assume they'll do the same thing tomorrow for Anthony Richardson. They're bringing the whole brigade. I mean, it doesn't seem like they are 1,000% etched in stone knowing what they're going to do. They have probably an inkling of what they're going to do, but it, it was almost like Carolina looked at it you know, whatever that was, three weeks ago when they made that move and they said, we need to trade to number one for the choice to have the first selection. Not necessarily because we know right now we're going to turn in the card to Roger Goodell and we, again, 1,000% know who we're going to take, but it's worth paying the price to be the first person choosing. And I think that makes a lot of sense. And I just don't think the Colts are in that sort of risk scenario to do that because – Let's say the Colts on April 7th or whatever, insert some date in early April, they have, you know, C.J. Stroud into their complex for a top 30 visit or Bryce Young into their complex for a top 30 visit, and they are blown away. I mean, Shane Steichen is like, oh, my gosh, this dude is wired exactly how Jalen Hurts and Justin Herbert and Phillip Rivers were were, were wired. I'm obsessed. I love it. We got to get this guy. Well, you can't because – Carolina's at one and Houston's at two. Um, and, and that's what you run the risk of. Obviously, you run the risk of vice versa. You trading up to one and I guess never truly being blown away by any of them. And now you feel like you kind of overpaid for that price. But I'd probably side more with Carolina's thinking in that it's worthy to get up there and have the first choice, especially when you look like there's a separation between the top two and the next two in this draft class. Uh, I also think it's probably worth mentioning, John, and I know we have this discussion after the Carolina trade, they also had some pieces within that trade package that I don't think the Colts have. The Colts don't have a DJ Moore. Um, The Colts don't have multiple second-round picks to where Carolina could move one of them. They actually are moving San Francisco's second-round pick to Chicago, which is about 20 spots further down than their own. So they still keep their second-round pick and then give Chicago that second-rounder from uh, San Francisco. So, you know, they can kind of – withstand you know how significant of a trade package that is because they do have you know a few other pieces where the Colts just weren't in a position um, to maybe feel comfortable to do that so uh, Kevin Bowen who joins us it was like Carolina thought like I did saw CJ Stroud against Georgia and went all right this is the guy yeah, let's go get him. And then I, I guess that was probably further, I, I think, heightened whenever he was at the combine and said he was a ball placement specialist. He had me a ball placement specialist, by the <laughs> yeah. way, right there, because that's something they haven't had around here, certainly in a while, ball placement specialist. Anyway, 
I had heard, and I've told you this before, and I talk about this a lot. I had heard because it was a season that was a disaster, and we often start talking about the offseason and those moves. I mean, hell, in October and November, and I had heard that they had uh, took a liking, uh, in this case, to Will Levis. Now, still, there's a lot of decision-making that not only has gone down, will continue to go down. But did you think that they liked Levis before that? And if you're going to make that choice right now or guessing who they're going to select, would that be who you think they will get at four if indeed they stay at four? Yeah, I'd probably have a slight, you know, slight if you're gonna you know, tell me, all right, you got to pick one of them. I, I I don't have strong conviction. I don't want to you know lie to our listening audience and act like I have some great intel because frankly I don't. First of all, when it comes to this move, and secondly, I probably shouldn't because that would mean that the Colts aren't doing a good job and keeping things close to the vest. I mean, I've talked to people that feel like it's Levis, and I've talked to people that feel like it would be Anthony Richardson. Um, and people that, you know, and that's, that's what the Colts want too, by the way, that's, <laughs> they want that sure. out there. They want everybody. And I mean, everybody, but to be split on who they believe it's going to be to keep up that mystery. And I guess a lot of it is just, what is it going to boil down to of what are you enamored with? And what do you feel like you can't teach that you need that player to have Richardson, the physical attributes speak for themselves. Um, if it were any other position, Chris Bauer to take Anthony Richardson 10 times out of 10, but, the quarterback position is a little bit more um, get away from the testing, get away from the combine, and it is a lot of what does this guy, what makes this guy tick? How is he wired? Shane Steichen has made that very clear, and I do think there are a lot of people that like how Will Levis is wired. They like that he's faced some adversity. Um, They feel like he played through a whole lot of injuries last season. Um, You know, it's that aspect to, uh, you know, it's kind of debating him and C.J. Stroud, like, C.J. Stroud, it looks so easy for him at Ohio State. Was that because he made it that easy, or is that because he just had superior talent around him in virtually every game that he played? Now, again, the Georgia game, he said, you know, watch this, and took it took it to to another level. So, again, slight hunch to Levis, but I don't have this crazy amount of conviction. And, again, I, I still think we are not fully there with how the Colts – you know, have evaluated these guys. I would assume, and I'm, I'm pretty sure Levis said last week at the uh, at the Kentucky Pro Day that he was going to go to Indianapolis for a top 30 visit somewhat soon. I, I would assume that Anthony Richardson, I know Houston's bringing all four of those guys in for visits, so you would think the Colts would follow suit in that, and that's probably when you do complete the process. Get them into your own building, talk to Shane Steichen, hell, probably talk to Jim Irsay, you know, everybody. And that's when you kind of get that, all right, what is he like neck up? Again, how is he wired? What makes him tick? Because that, to me, I think is the separator. Shane Sykin's proven it. Shapes, sizes, different talent level, runner, thrower, pocket passer, get out of the pocket. Shane Sykin's worked with all of them, and he's had success with all of them. But the consistency with all three of those guys is, again, how they are between the years, and I think that is what will end up being the true separator. So Kevin Bowen is with us. Have you seen the uh, Will Levis before getting in shape, getting draft ready after injuries in December? He goes December to March in some of these pictures. So, um, <laughs> I mean, he's, he's yoked, but I'm thinking you should be yoked, right? So, 
Yeah, no, I I have not seen like this is like like body pictures like yeah I feel like they, yeah. they do that in college a lot yeah it's like it's like I've got shorts on but I've got them hiked up to where it looks like I've got grape smugglers on kind of deal there yeah mm, okay yeah like yeah Levis if I if I were to do one for everybody right now would not it would not get nearly the reaction that clearly he is getting this <laughs> afternoon. <laughs> Yeah, I remember when I saw him at the combine, I was like, "Wow!" I mean, that dude. I mean, yeah, he, he looks like uh, hell. He looks like a tight end. I mean, same thing with Richardson. Richardson, I thought he could go. He go play for the Pacers with with how he looks. Certainly, Bryce Young did not look that way, and CJ Stroud isn't built that way. But I know the playing through injury thing. I mean, again, there's a lot of people. Yeah, I, I was talking with somebody who was a scout on a on a team around the NFL, and they said, "You watch Levis as a junior, and you think Matthew Stafford," and it's just how much stock do you want to put into that senior year when it was kind of a mess around him? Uh, how much do you chalk that up as, you know, a little bit like Josh Allen's senior year? And how much do you, you know, put more validity of saying, hey, he should have kind of, you know, rallied, you know, whatever, rallied his team better and they shouldn't have been as poor as he was. And then with Richardson, glass half full would say, oh, he's only played 13 games, so he's, got all this potential, glass half empty would say he's only played 13 games. That scares the hell out of me. It's going to take tons of development, and you don't even know if if you're going to hit on that. So that's what makes this you know, so difficult and the decision extremely challenging. But if you're able to get it right, boy, um, that would do wonders for this franchise in the need of a jolt. Yeah. A.J. <laughs> Brown, this is uh... – this is this yeah the AJ Brown responded in the past seven minutes uh, to this Will Levis photo and says Will this is with drug free sport you've been randomly selected for a PED test tomorrow um, please report to the testing room for an ID that's from uh, AJ Brown regarding that picture <laughs> uh, I'm just I, I I'm looking at him now man. Um... Yeah, he almost yeah. Um, Charlie's right here. It is a bit Laron Landry like. It is. That's what he was all. He was about nothing but that though. I remember people would see him in uh, L.A. Fitness in Greenwood, and just on a like every day, just doing nothing but putting up weight. <laughs> I mean, even when he went home, he was putting up weight back then. Yeah, he was an interesting cat. I think he had a. Um... He had a pet. Was it a pet monkey? He did, home? yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then he had like this action figure, this kind of like you know like yoked up <laughs> action figure in his locker, and he'd have to have that like upright and facing out towards the media whenever he would talk with the media. Um, that was a that was a yeah. that was a big time hit on for Grigson right there, wasn't it? That one. Yeah, I, you know, I, I saw Jim Moshe's comments at the owners' meeting. You know, kind of agreeing with Chris Ballard's very prudent approach to free agency. I think some scar tissue from LaRon Landry in 2013, along with some others, and then the 2015 free agency class, I think that's gotten Jim Mercer pretty scared uh, when it comes to free agency. All right. I've got to run here. I'm not going to have time to talk Pacers with you. We'll do that at another time. Are you all in on FAU, the Owls, this weekend? Yeah. Are you going? Nah. Nah. Twofold here. Um, And I, I should, but I'm... I'm afraid that we they all want me to go in a van with somebody's wife driving. <laughs> and I go, oh, well, as much as I would love to, I don't want to end up in the Hooskow in Arkansas on the way down there, um, in part that. And I'm a little bit superstitious. And 
you know, I kind of just want to do what I've been doing. I've really tried. I want to hype him up and give him credit where credit is due because he's deserving of it. But at the same time, I'm trying not to go rah-rah overboard. You know what I mean? And in predicting wins and titles and things like that. So, I know. That sounds lame, doesn't it? And see, that's what I I just explained that to you at the start of the conversation, how I was talked into going to London, and that was a great time. Would you ride down in the back of a van with a bunch of Greene County dudes? With somebody's wife driving? I'd prefer to take the wheel for some stretches if I'm going to be totally honest with you, (laughs) but I I would a thousand percent do. I mean, you've had Dusty May on your show each of the last three weeks. I mean, I... I hate watching... The other thing is, I hate watching a game in that facility. It sucks so bad. Yeah, I, I do hate that. I hate that arena or I hate that stadium. Uh, just and it's and it's and all the way out. Like I mean, everything happens downtown, and then you go to the games way the hell out. And I like Houston. I like going to Houston. I just don't want the the Final Four in Houston sucks. No, oh, awful. Yeah, I mean, I used to hate Colts Texans game there, and obviously we remember how well the shooting was there for Butler UConn in that national title game. But man, I just. I don't I want you to wake up Monday of all of a sudden that they're there and, and you live in some Green County regret. <laughs> yeah, I know. Which could go probably a lot of ways now that I said that out It loud. could, yeah. It could. And listen, the, the van trip sounds fun to me um, until it's not. So that, I mean, they're all loading up in a van and going. They're going, hey, man, why don't you go? Um, I go, oh, I don't know. So... Maybe that last big hurrah. I'm 53 now. I may not get too many more opportunities to ride 13 hours in the back of a van with my friends that I grew up with. I'm, I'm going to guess no. I, I vote that you go, and I hope that one of your Greene County buddies gives you a call here one of these next two nights and is able to convince you. <laughs> By the way, Tony Donahue just said we can share a hotel room again. We did. Westwood One took us <laughs> to the last one, and there were. this is a true story. There were two beds in the bedroom and i made tony sleep out on the couch i said there may be two beds in here but that does not mean that us both we're both sleeping in here so i made him sleep on the couch i know tony i was wondering if there was anybody else maybe well that's the other thing well there was um i think (laughs) so i went uh, i went on an afternoon i drove to galveston with my wife who uh, came down on a separate flight we drove to galveston and had lunch and hung out a little bit and i think uh i think t donahue may have had some he and she and going on in there while we were gone so Uh, I love that. Uh, only Tony D. Yep, and he spent the night before at a at a bar in the hotel with Michael Beasley, screaming at the top of his lungs about how great he was. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're way over. I'll never forget Beasley and Luke Herringote facing off in Madison Square Garden back in the day. So I, maybe I, I would love to have get, gotten into a little heated discussion with Tony D about that. <laughs> well, this was Michael Beasley himself screaming at the top of his oh. lungs how great he was. Yeah, it was Michael Beasley. Man. He was there. He was there telling everybody how great he was. Somehow I could picture both Michael Beasley and Tony Donahue doing both of them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was evidently uh, incredibly inebriated, but he was screaming and telling everybody how great he was. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> All right, buddy. You and Jake coming up tomorrow morning. If you guys have time, you guys got to slide by opening day at Joe's Grill with us in Castleton tomorrow. It's going to be a good time. Hey, Reds.
the march to uh winning 60 games starts tomorrow they got me really excited so they had me at the start of the season <laughs> see you buddy see ya <laughs>